Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, hello, beloved family. It's so good to be with you. I'm so happy to be with you that we were able to work this out. I don't know where my camera went. It's all over the place, but I'm fine. I'm in my office now in Winsboro, Texas, in the Diocese of Tyler, and all is well. Um, In heaven and on earth, our Lord is on his throne. He is in control. Um, We have a glorious month prior to the beginning of our new year, which is December 3rd, Advent, the beginning of the Catholic liturgical year. And I always love November because we have a whole month to put our minds, our families, our hearts, uh, organize our house to prepare for Advent and even do our Christmas shopping so that during Advent we can um, not turn on Christmas lights, not decorate, Um, but spend the month in prayer, in fasting, in waiting for the Lord of heaven and earth to come as a tiny baby and really, really live the liturgical year. So November 1st was a holy day of obligation, All Saints. Yesterday, November 2nd, was a first-class feast, not a holy day of obligation, All Souls. And today is the first Friday, and of course tomorrow the first Saturday. Um, We have a very special friend named Gordon who always calls in to remind us, uh, to remind everyone of the first Friday devotion. And you know, as a Benedictine order um, of religious, we have as our patron, St. Benedict, of course, and then St. Francis de Sales, who formed the... um, visitation of Holy Mary 400 years ago with St. Jane de Chantal. And we have both of them as our patron. And our Lord honored both with his sacred heart. He came to St. Gertrude the Great under St. Benedict um, about 700 years or so before he appeared to St. Margaret Mary, Alacoque. And he told St. Gertrude, to spread devotion to the Sacred Heart. Very few people are even aware of that. Um, um, And St. Gertrude said, But Lord, um, why did you wait till now to show us your Sacred Heart and spread devotion? And of course, uh, the Apostle John is known as the Beloved because he leaned on our Lord's breast at the Last Supper. And Jesus said to St. Gertrude the Great, because there would be a time the world would need it more. And he asked her to spread that devotion, and it, in time it faded, as many do. Many devotions and instructions from our Lord do over time. And he came again to St. Margaret Mary, a daughter of St. Francis de Sales, and asked her to spread devotion to his sacred heart. And, of course, she has. And um, we've, uh, from that, developed the devotion the First Friday Devotion, um, to the Sacred Heart, making reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the nine First Fridays of each month. 
um, I mean, the, the first Friday of each month for nine days. Sorry about that. And our Lord's words to St. Margaret Mary uh, Alacoque are these. Behold, behold this heart, which has so loved men that it has spared nothing, even to exhausting and consuming itself, in order to testify to its love. <clears throat> and in return, I receive from the greater part only in gratitude, these are our Lord's words, by their irreverence and sacrilege, and by the coldness and contempt they have for me, that's our Lord, in this sacrament of love. He says, I feel more than all that I suffered. I feel this more than all that I suffered during my passion. Can you imagine? If only they would make me some return for my love. I should think but little of all I have done for them and would wish, were it possible, to suffer still more. But the sole return, S-O-L-E, the sole return they make for all my eagerness to do them good is to reject me and treat me with coldness. Do you at least console me by supplying for their ingratitude as far as you are able? What a sad statement. You know, you read something like that from our Lord and it, it's difficult for me personally to believe. I know that he's God, but um, it, it's, it's difficult for me to believe that those are the words of God um, because he became man for us while not giving up his divinity. Um, it, it's just the whole thing remains a mystery. Our Lord longs to find special expressions of our love for him on the first Friday of each month your fervent Holy Communion as a special act of reparation and love to the Sacred Heart of Jesus will greatly console our Lord for the ingratitude and outrages that he endures for our sake in the Blessed Sacrament. Every day, beloved, every day, millions of sacrileges. And every time I go to Mass, well, I should say a Novus Ordo Mass, because this does not happen in the Latin Mass. In the Novus Ordo Mass, I uh, went to one the other evening with a good ad orientum celebration, a good holy priest, and yet parents brought their children up with their hands crossed across their chest, saying no to God, and not even understanding that they are before God and they should bow and genuflect no less than if they were receiving him. They simply go up and say no. I don't know where or how that practice in the church began, but it's a horrible sacrilege and a horrible thing to watch. Teaching a child to go up with his hands crossed, blocking God, saying no, no thank you. Maybe I'm not qualified yet. Maybe I'm not old enough yet. I received whatever it is. You don't teach a child to say no to God, and you don't teach a child to go up at the moment of communion and not genuflect. It's, it's simply awful. How once they receive the Eucharist, what difference is there? They're just receiving the Eucharist instead of crossing their hands, crossing their chest. I, I don't know what registers with them or not, but surely they cannot be taught. It's before God they stand if they stand straight up and cross their hands over their chest and don't even acknowledge. 
by a bow of the head that it's God. We have our Lord's 12 promises to those who honor his sacred heart. Number one, this is from our Lord Jesus. I will give them all the graces necessary for their state in life. Two, I will give peace in their families. Three, I will console them in all their troubles. Four, they shall find in my heart an assured refuge during life and especially at the hour of death. Beloved, I'm only on number four, and there are 12. We couldn't, billions of dollars could not get us these things. Number five, I will pour abundant blessings on all their undertakings. Six, sinners shall find in my heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. And number seven, tepid, that's lukewarm souls, shall become fervent. Eight, fervent souls shall speedily rise to great perfection. Number nine, I will bless the homes in which the image of my sacred heart shall be exposed and honored. Number 10, I will give to priests the power to touch the most hardened hearts. Number 11, those who propagate this devotion shall have their name written in my heart and it shall never be effaced. And finally, number 12, the all-powerful love of my heart will grant to all those who shall receive communion on the first Friday of nine consecutive months, the grace of final repentance. They shall not die under my displeasure, nor without receiving the sacraments. My heart shall be their assured refuge at the last hour. Beloved, um, what more could we ever ask for a God who became man for us and died on the cross that we might live with him forever. Today is devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, um, the first Friday, and then we, rather, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and tomorrow, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And Jesus said to Sister Lucy, I want my whole church to recognize that consecration as a triumph, that consecration, that is to the sacred and immaculate hearts, as a consecration, as a triumph of the immaculate heart of Mary, so that later on my church will place devotion to my mother's immaculate heart besides devotion to my sacred heart. My goodness, we have such a treasure, beloved. We have such a treasure. There's the music for our first break. And when we come back, uh, we'll speak um, more about devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, all the popes who support it, all the saints. Um, It's not a peripheral devotion. It is, I should say, essential. It is essential. Um, I'll tell you more when we get back, beloved, and following the second break. Um, we'll have a whole half hour to ourselves for your calls um, and your emails toll free with anything on your heart 1-877-511-5483 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTagg discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Atheists claim they don't need God to be a good person, implying God's not relevant to morality. But is this true? Well, atheists can be good in the sense of knowing behaviors that respect the goods of human nature and living accordingly. St. Paul acknowledges this natural moral law in Romans chapter 2. But this doesn't mean God is irrelevant when it comes to morality. And here's the reason. Besides God's grace being necessary to live the moral law perfectly and merit heaven, God is necessary for the law to be morally binding. How can the moral law be binding if there's no moral law giver behind it that surpasses human authority? The answer is, it can't. So an atheist can follow the natural moral law, but only the theist is consistent in saying that such a law is morally obligatory. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the Programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. Just before the break, we were speaking about... um, the devotion of the first Friday, nine first Fridays to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and um, all the words that he spoke to uh, not just St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, but hundreds of years before that to St. Gertrude the Great. Um, And uh, people sometimes say, well, where did it come from, that devotion? And a number of popes have recommended this. I have some quotes. Here's from Pope Pius XII, who said, quote, Those heavenly blessings which devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus pours into the souls of the faithful, purifying them, refreshing them with heavenly consolation, and urging them to acquire all virtues cannot be counted. He said also, The Church has always held devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus in such regard and continues to esteem it so greatly that she strives to have this devotion flourish throughout the world and to promote it in every way. And she, uh, the Church, uh, certainly has a good promoter in our brother Gordon, uh, who called in even today to remind us of the first Friday. Um... Again, Pope Pius XII said that his heart, our Lord's heart, is the natural sign and symbol 
of his boundless love for the human race. <clears throat> Pope Leo XIII said, called devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus a most excellent form of religion. This devotion, which we recommend to all, will be profitable to all. He also said in the sacred heart, there is the symbol and the express image of the infinite love of Jesus Christ, which moves us to love in return. Pope St. Gregory the Great in 604 AD said, learn of the heart of God in the words of God so that you may ardently long for eternal things. And that's prior to our Lord's appearance to St. Gertrude and St. Margaret Mary. Pope St. Pius X recommended devotion to the Sacred Heart, as did Pope Pius XI and Blessed Pope Pius IX. The example of the saints is at the same time a powerful motive to urge us to the practice of a devotion which they themselves practiced. Their example is a reliable guide to show us how to practice it. Um, here's some examples of the saints um, and, their, and, their, and their words. St. Gertrude the Great um, lived in the 13th century from 1256 to 1302, and that is about 400 years or so, four to 500 years before St. Margaret Mary, not 700, four to five. <clears throat> and she composed... Uh, this prayer exemplifying her love, quote, I salute thee, O sacred heart of Jesus, living and vivifying source of eternal life, infinite treasury of the divinity, ardent furnace of divine love. St. Catherine of Siena loved this devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus to an extraordinary degree. She made an entire donation of her heart to her divine spouse, and she obtained the heart of Jesus in exchange. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Thomas, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Bonaventure, St. Ignatius Loyola, St. Francis Xavier, St. Philip Neri, St. Francis de Sales, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, um, all, um, who, if you've read their lives, you'll be able to see their tender devotion, their admiration, and the adoration all of these saints had for the sacred heart of Jesus. But above all uh, is the life and revelations of the sacred heart to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque at Paray le Monial. She received, among other things, the 12 promises that I read to you earlier, the 12 promises of Jesus to the families who honor the sacred heart. Beloved, I don't know if you want me to repeat those. They're all over the internet. Um, and it speaks about enthronement in your home uh, to the sacred heart to restore your family. It's a work that's been approved, um, approved rather, um, uh, instructions for enthronement. Um, and here is a prayer um, for enthronement as well. I'm just looking through... Um, and then the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. There's so we have such a treasure, followed by the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and a ceremony of enthronement. I'm looking at the Fatima Center, Fatima.org, um, and it gives you all the instructions for devotion to the Sacred Heart, um, how to enthrone the Sacred Heart in your home, 
the address of the priest, instructions to the priest, um, act of consecration of the family to the Sacred Heart. It, it's, it's endless. God wants to shower his graces upon us, beloved, and he's given us every single means to do it. Um, um, it, it I, I'm going through Fatima.org on the Sacred Heart. It's so, so beautiful. Here is, um, uh, I don't know how much time we'll have, a prayer of thanksgiving that the whole family can recite to the Sacred Heart. Glory be to thee, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, for the infinite mercy thou hast bestowed upon the privileged members of this family. Thou hast chosen it from thousands of others as a recipient of thy love and as a sanctuary of reparation, wherein thy most loving heart shall find consolation for the ingratitude of men. How great, O Lord Jesus, is the confusion of this portion, this portion of thy faithful flock, as we accept the unmerited honor of seeing thee preside over our family. Silently we adore thee, overjoyed to see thee, sharing under the same roof the toils, cares, and joys of thy innocent children. It is true we are not worthy that thou shouldst enter our humble abode, but thou hast already reassured us when thou didst receive thy sacred heart, when thou didst reveal thy sacred heart to us, teaching us to find in the wound of thy sacred side a source of grace and life everlasting. In this loving and trusting spirit, we give ourselves to thee, thou who art unchanging life. Remain with us, most sacred heart, for we feel an irresistible desire to love thee and make thee loved. May our home be for thee a haven as sweet as that of Bethany, where thou canst find rest in the midst of loving friends who, like Mary, have chosen the better part in the loving intimacy of thy heart. May this home be for thee, O beloved Savior, a humble but hospitable refuge during the exile imposed on thee by thine enemies. Come then, Lord Jesus. Come for here. I'm sorry. Um, Come for here as at Nazareth, we have a tender love for the Virgin Mary, thy sweet mother, whom thou hast given us to be our mother. Come to fill with thy sweet presence the vacancies which misfortune and death have wrought in our midst. O most faithful friend, hast thou been here in the midst of sorrow? Our tears would have been less bitter. The comforting balm of peace would then have soothed these hidden wounds which are known to thee alone. Come, for even now perhaps there is drawing near for us the twilight of tribulation and the decline of the passing days of our youth and our illusions. Stay with us, for already it is late, and a perverted world seeks to envelop us in the darkness of its denials, while we wish to adhere to thee, who alone art the way, the truth, and the life. Repeat for us those words thou didst utter of old. This day I must abide in this home. Yes, dear Lord, take up thy abode with us so that we may live and in thy love and in thy presence 
we who proclaim thee as our king and wish no other, may thy triumphant heart, O Jesus, be forever loved, blessed, and glorified in this home. Thy kingdom come. Amen. Sacred heart of Jesus, thy kingdom come. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Pius X, pray for us. Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us. Saint Claude de la Colombière, pray for us. Long live the Sacred Heart of Jesus forever and ever. Amen. When we say Viva Cristo Rey, it's the same as saying, Long live the Sacred Heart of Jesus forever and ever. Amen. You know, beloved, just a minute or so before our half-hour break, as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking of the, what might, might be the response of evangelical Christians who love our Lord and who live for him with all their heart, as I sought to do for 18 years. And this, reading through this, uh, would be blasphemy to me, would have no desire, would be uh, distasteful to speak of his sacred heart in a physical way, uh, to illustrate it in a physical way, um, uh, to even believe his words, because if it wasn't in Scripture, we wouldn't believe it. And if it was that important, it would have been in Scripture. That's our thought. But I tell you, beloved, I was taught that the Catholic Church was the whore of Babylon, Satan's system, a false man-made religion leading souls to hell. I believed it and tried to save Catholics and get them out of the church for years. By the grace of God, I was led to look into the church four and a half year agonizing journey, the last thing I wanted on earth. I, I was afraid all the four and a half years that I would be betraying Christ if I became Catholic. But by his grace, I did. I entered the church in 1995, and I felt immediately like a child again in the synagogue. The reverence that I knew in the synagogue was restored to me uh, in the Catholic church um, versus the Protestant evangelical experience of what a friend we have in Jesus, which is true, but it lacks the, um, um, the relationship with God. It's all horizontal, very little vertical, very little reverence. And I felt, I've said this before, like a child standing outside of Sam's or Costco's, huge, huge store, huge, a block wide, and looking in like a child with my nose pressed to the window and picturing it as a candy store and looking in from the outside because I had just decided to come in. And I was standing there like a little child looking at that candy store, saying, it's all mine. It's all mine. God was there all the time. His church was there for 2,000 years. And it's all mine. And I could live a million years. And I would never plumb the death depths of its beauty. If you're Catholic, beloved, you're truly Catholic in your heart, you would have loved every word of the prayer to the Sacred Heart. I just prayed and read. If you're not, um, I would ask you from the bottom of my heart, I would praise God that you love him, but ask him, dear Lord Jesus, um, if this is true, show me.
Satan chose not to submit to God's will. He chose to reign in hell rather than to serve in heaven. When humanity was created, he was placed in a garden and Satan infiltrated that sanctuary and into the minds and hearts of our first parents and twisted their wills such that they would no longer submit to God perfectly. Satan once again infiltrated the church at the fullness of time when he entered into Judas. That possession began the process of our salvation, of the Lord's betrayal and of his passion, death and resurrection. By virtue of what our blessed Lord accomplished, Satan was chained. He couldn't roam the earth as he once could. But in God's eternal and perfect wisdom and providence, he did choose to unchain Satan for these horrid times. But this dark age in which the church sits has been prophesied. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. If Jesus meant what he said as thousands of people are leaving him, don't you think he would have corrected him if they got him wrong? But he didn't. So he must have said what he meant. And he is the Eucharist. And no one else has that but the Catholic Church. And my wife said, what do you think? I said, I think we're Catholic. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and I am live and we are live and we are back on video. I'm so, so thrilled. And this is always my favorite part of our program, our half hour all together. And you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. And again, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart does not have to be our topic. And uh, the toll free number 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross. Dot com. Dear Gordon, if you're listening, thank you for your call earlier this morning, always reminding us of the first Friday devotion. I, I love you for that. And first Saturday devotion tomorrow. We have an email from Daniel. Daniel says, where is the boundary line between good music and bad music? Is there a hard line between genres, um, categories, or is it vague? Well, our Lord, uh, when the rich young man came to our Lord and he said, good teacher, what do I have to do to enter eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. In other words, are you calling me God? Do you understand I'm divine? Well, what is good leads us to God, nothing else. If it doesn't lead us to God, it's not good. If it's neutral, it's not good. Even if it doesn't have evil in it, it's not good. 
if it doesn't lead our hearts to God. It's not just a matter of sound uh, or hearing. It's forming the heart of the person for heaven. Everything we do, everything we hear. And so good would be whatever leads our heart to heaven and to Christ. In word, in beat, in instrument, in sound, everything. Uh, Some people like certain hard metal or rock music, and they just don't pay attention to the words. Well, that's no good, and the words are still going to get into your your ears. Um, And some people like the words, but not the music. Um, The difference, Daniel, is what leads you to God. If it's you know, I in my past life, and my past life, uh, there's only one life given us, but prior to being a Christian, um, music has always been a big part of my life. Nothing professional, a um, little professional in a couple of ways, but, um, but I loved it. And I loved the 20s and 30s and 40s, even though I wasn't alive then. Uh, I was alive in the 40s, but I wasn't dancing yet. Um, and I love all those, and I can't listen to them now. But I, lo- I love Glenn Miller. I love the big bands. I can't listen to them because they bring my heart back to that melancholy state, and that's not to heaven. Uh, there's no melancholy to do with our Lord. Um, it's, a, it's a sadness. It's no good. And so um, we need to protect our hearts and music that leads us to Christ doesn't have to be specifically Catholic music, but anything that's good is Catholic. Anything that's true is Catholic. So you could listen to Bruckner or to good classical music, and it could be beautiful and lead your heart to God, even though it may not specifically speak of him. So um, well, I have to do something here. Hold on one moment. Hold on one moment. I'm on my computer, and the battery is just about out. Hold on a moment. Okay, we're back. Um, So uh, that's what I would say, Daniel. Um, If it brings your heart to heaven, or at least there's nothing in the way of bringing your heart to heaven, let's just say like a good classical piece, that's okay. I've listened to Catholic music that does not bring my heart to heaven. Protestant music, simply Christian music, that doesn't bring my heart to heaven at all. So it, it's, um, it's music that forms the soul. There's a gentleman, a beautiful brother, Eric Genius, G-E-N-I-U-S. He's a master uh, musician. And he has, I think, some CDs out on the music, that, the sort of music to teach your children to even play during your pregnancy or play when they're very young in their crib that leads them to heaven and that forms them. Um, We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, I have a Protestant friend who cannot understand why Catholics believe that we must confess our sins to a priest. Are you saying that he cannot get forgiveness directly from God through prayer and that he cannot get true forgiveness unless he becomes a Catholic. I'm not saying that. The Catholic Church doesn't say that. Um, the reason we must confess our sins to a priest is because God set it up that way. That's why. We may not understand everything, but that's the way God wants it. If we confess to one another, if, if the prayer uh, in James, uh, we confess 
to another, but to a priest. Uh, John chapter 20, our Lord, when he appeared in the upper room with his disciples, said, whose sins you remit are remitted, whose sins you retain are retained. Um, We know that it's God who forgives sins, beloved. And when we go to the confessional, um, the priest is a conduit, so to speak. Uh, When we confess our sins, we're speaking to the priest, but we're speaking to God. And when the priest says, I absolve you, if we could see with our eyes what our faith understands, we wouldn't see the priest or hear the priest. It's Christ who forgives sins. It's Christ in the confessional who says, I forgive you through the instrumentality of the priest. Why does God want it that way? Because God has used men for everything. How do we know the gospel? Maybe you're an evangelical, or someone is, and you're reading the Bible, and you say it's the authoritative word of God, and I don't need anything else. Well, how do you know that? Because someone told you that. Um, How do you have the scriptures? Because God used men, prophets, and apostles to write them. Uh, Well, how do they get into our hands? Because God used people to invent the printing press, and then stores to sell them and make them available. God has used men for his purpose. The same thing at Mass. When a man, a priest, holds up mere bread and pronounces the words, this is my body over the bread, bread becomes God. Because at the Last Supper, our Lord himself took up unleavened bread in his hands and said over that bread, this is my body, and bread obeyed and became his body. The Last Supper was the first Mass, the Passover fulfilled in the Passover lamb the first mass, and all creation obeys. Genesis chapter 1, let there be light, and there was. All creation obeys. So at the mass, it is Christ, who is the high priest, um, saying through the instrumentality of the human priest, this is my body, and Christ the high priest, and Christ the victim. And the priest is the instrument through which God works. So when he says, this is my body, again, it's Christ who says that. This is my blood. Christ who says that. Through the priest at Mass, through the priest in confession. And we can say, I'm sorry, God, on our own. Will he forgive us? Um, if, if it's true sorrow, as Apostle Paul writes, godly sorrow, yes, he'll forgive us. Will he forgive a Catholic also? If a Catholic has true sorrow and doesn't go... To the confessional, yes, unless it's mortal sin. If it's mortal sin, the sin that separates you from God, then you cannot get life with God back apart from the confessional and being forgiven through the priest. However, if you just say, I'm sorry, God, and you really mean it, can God forgive you? He can. Will he? I don't know. Only God knows the sincerity of the heart. But you are missing out. Because the penance that a priest gives us following forgiveness, he doesn't give us penance, we don't work for forgiveness. He doesn't give us penance so that we can be forgiven. He gives us penance because we have been forgiven and we need a way on earth to repair, make reparation, reparation for the temporal effects of our sins. We're forgiven before God for breaking Mrs. Smith's window, but we need to make reparation for that window. 
and give Mrs. Smith the money to pay back, pay back the cost of the window so she can get a new one. That's what penance does. It allows us to make reparation for our sins on a human horizontal level. And if we don't, if we refuse to, or we don't have that, that's what purgatory is for. For all the, un, uh, all the sins for which we have not made earthly reparation. So, can he get true forgiveness unless he becomes Catholic? He can. Will he? I can't answer that. Only God knows. Because it's his judgment. When we go to a priest, it's humiliating for us, and we need to deal with the issue of our sin. And then the judgment is not ours, it's God's. And if we really want God's judgment on our soul to cleanse us, to make us holy, we don't want to be lone Indians engines walking around uh, deciding our own holiness. We have an email from Arthur. Arthur says, do pets make it to heaven? Or do my pets just stop existing once they die? Well, they disintegrate into the ground just like the human body does. Um, the, the church does not teach that there are pets in heaven because they have a different soul than human beings have. And um, we human beings uh, are a, we're, we're animals uh, with a soul. And the soul... Not the body, but the soul is immortal. And it will be rejoined at the resurrection with the body, a new body. Um, but it is the soul that is immortal. And when we die, the body goes into the ground and disintegrates, just like a dog does, because without the soul, there's no life. Um, and so dogs don't have that, and so they, they're not in heaven. Uh, as far as the church has taught, they are not. And again, you can bury them like you do a human being, and they'll decay in the ground just like we do apart from our soul, but only the souls of human beings go on to heaven. We have an email from Rodrigo who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I have a question regarding the brown scapular. I have been browsing through the Internet in an attempt to buy a scapular. I've come across a scapular that is made of metal, M-E-T-A-L, not cloth. In comparison, the metal can provide durability, in my opinion. In your opinion, Mother, do you think the material is inappropriate and or does it diminish its sacramental value? Thank you. May God bless you and the Holy Virgin keep you. Thanks, Rodrigo. I have also seen metal scapulars. Um, Rodrigo, I don't know what to think about them. Um, uh, Yes, they can provide durability, but... I love the look of a cloth scapular that is all faded and worn. I love that, just like the look of a, a worn old Bible or missile. It's beautiful. It's loved, and it's worn, and it's used. I love that look. Um, the, the thing is, when Our Lady gave the scapular, um, it was a, a form of a habit. It was a form of a habit. So you can see some people with a brown scapular that's, quite big, about a foot long or square, uh, quite big, and they wear it outside their clothes. It's a form of habit. You can wear a small one, of course, under your clothes, but I don't think Our Lady would have given a metal habit. Um, So I think 
I, I, this is my opinion. I don't know. Um, I, I've looked it up on the internet, and I don't see anything against a metal scapular, um, but you won't find it uh, spoken about too much. I personally would stay with the cloth and not worry about it being worn out. You can always get another one or just continue to wear your worn scapular. Don't wear it in the shower, and outside of that, you can wear it all the time. So um, that's my own thought. Uh, well, whether, well, I'm sorry, whether or not it diminishes its sacramental value, I doubt that it would diminish that. But I would stay personally with the cloth. There's the music for our final break, beloved. We'll be right back, and we'll have 10 minutes. Still time. Our lines are open for your calls, if you wish, and your emails, toll-free 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. If it's in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, here you go. 1 Timothy 2 states the following about women as related to church life. No braiding the hair, no gold jewelry, no pearls. Just learn in silence and do not teach. Does your pastor comply with these biblical instructions? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, an unpleasant fact. Many self-proclaimed Bible-only churches, sadly, will pick and choose what parts of the Bible are implemented in the life of the church. Secondly, Catholic catechism. Be especially attentive to, quote, the content and unity of the whole scripture. And thirdly, a tough comeback. In order to understand the sacred author's intention, we must take into account culture, audience, and the literary genre. So if your Bible-only church does not strictly obey those instructions, then tell me the reason why. Well, we know, you know, 80% of your church is handled by women. So with those instructions in force, many women will leave your church, maybe even the pastor's wife. Out. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to uh, Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. Nobody's calling in today. It's too quiet. Um, and our toll-free number, still time if you wish, is one 511 5483 or email at mother at Um We have an email from Santino, dear Mother Miriam. I have a question regarding the PNCC, that is the Polish National Catholic Church, founded by Francis Hodor, 
uh, H-O-D-U-R. What are the differences between the PNCC and the Catholic Church founded by Christ our Lord? I've been looking into this church and just wonder what changes Francis Hodor made and what similarities he kept when he founded the PNCC. Thanks and God bless. Sincerely, Santino. Santino, I'm not familiar with the Polish National Catholic Church, but um, you have just given us the main difference, and um, it is that the Catholic Church was founded by Christ, and the Polish National Catholic Church founded by Francis Hodor, um, um, I think in the 20th century, the 1900s. So, um, number one, they are uh, uh, ones by Christ and ones by a human being centuries later, um, and it's based in the United States, founded by him and, and other Polish Americans. It's not in communion with the Catholic Church, and um, uh, if I, I'm, there's so many references to it. Uh, it has 26,000 members in five dioceses in the United States, and the history says during the late 19th century, ma- many Polish immigrants to the U.S. became dismayed with the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. The U.S. Church had no Polish bishops and few Polish priests and would not allow the Polish language to be taught in parish schools. The main, mainly ethnic Irish and German bishops helped establish hundreds of parishes for Poles, but priests were usually unable to speak Polish, and the new immigrants had poor or limited English. There were also disputes over who owned church property, particularly in Buffalo, New York, Scranton, Pennsylvania, with the parishioners demanding greater control. Although the majority, uh, just another sentence here, although the majority of Polish Americans remained with the Roman Catholic Church, where bilingual Polish American priests and bishops were eventually ordained, many Polish Americans in the meantime came to believe that these conditions were a manifestation of political and social exploitation of the Polish leader. Uh, And a leader of this struggle was Father uh, Francis Hodor, uh, who died in 1953. He was a Polish immigrant and a Catholic priest born near Krakow. So um, the difference is uh, a really sad, sad difference that has occurred with other um, nationalities who may come to the United States and there may not be you know, they want to gather, there's a Polish church, this Hungarian church, Irish, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, but they need uh, Polish, Hungarian, Irish priests to lead them, otherwise uh, it could become very, very difficult when, uh, when groups, uh, national groups want to remain together and they don't have a priest to lead them. But to leave the Catholic Church and form your own is... Um, to put your soul in danger. Um, we have an email from Dawn who says, Hi, Mother, what is the proper protocol with winter coats when receiving Holy Communion? As cold as I am, I always take off my coat prior to receiving Jesus. Am I overthinking? Thank you for your ministry, Dawn. Dawn, Somewhere in my background, I believed the same, that it would be rude. Just as you meet someone, if you have gloves on, you take your glove off to shake their hand, if you're going to shake their hand. Um, I also uh, was of the understanding that 
you take your coat off uh, for any respectful greeting or meeting or situation. So um, I think it would be, I haven't thought about this for a long time, Dawn. I think it would be appropriate for someone to take off their winter coat and put it back on when they got back to their seat. But it's not a law. It's not a sin. And it's so far gone from our current society or uh, ethnic uh, framework that I, I don't think you'd have a problem. Uh, probably others in your church go up with their coats. And I don't even know that the priest or cardinal or pope has any thought on that. I don't know. But um, I would say always, if I had a conscience that it was more respectful to our Lord to go up without my coat, I would. Um, but then to put my coat on when I have him in me physically may not make so much sense. So, uh, But you don't go against your conscience. If you feel better going up without your coat, it's 100% fine. It's not a protocol. Not a protocol as long as you don't think yourself more proper or holy than anyone else. Don't judge anyone at all. They can go up in a snowsuit. Don't judge them. Um, so it's okay, but it's not absolute protocol. It may have been in the past. Okay. Um, we have an email from uh, someone who writes in anonymously and says, if the Roman Catholic Church gave the world the Bible, being infallible, then why did Rome reject or question the inspiration of James and Hebrews and then later accept it? I'm not sure what you're saying here. Um, Martin Luther threw out seven books of the Old Testament plus parts of two others and several books of the New Testament, including James for sure, maybe Hebrews too, because he called James an epistle of straw because James wrote that faith without works is dead. Martin Luther called it epistle straw and threw it out. I don't know why you're saying Rome rejected it and then later accepted it. Conversely, Rome accepted as scripture books that were later rejected. Uh, many books in the beginning, number one, what you're talking about, fits Martin Luther, not, not Rome. Um, and many books uh, for the first few centuries were excluded or included in what was thought to be scripture until the 4th and 5th centuries with the councils of Carthage and Hippo that was put together by the Pope and Catholic bishops. Nobody else was no Protestants in Hippo and Carthage in the 4th and 5th century. Um, and so they included books that had been questionable if they were found to be canonical, and they excluded other books that were not found to meet the canon of requirements for what is in Scripture. If he goes on or she goes on to say, if the Catholic Church really is illuminated by the Holy Spirit, so then men can trust her as God's organization, why was she so wrong about something so simple? Should not the Holy See have known? But it was the Holy See who came up with the canon of Scripture. Not before then. It was the Holy See that came up with the canon of Scripture, and that was the Septuagint that our Lord had from which he quoted when he was on earth, uh, 1,500 years before Luther uh, threw the books out. And so, um, 
if the whole the Catholic Church really is illuminated by the Holy Spirit so that men can trust her as God's organization, well, it's Christ's church on earth, if you want to call it God's organization. Why was she so wrong about something so simple? She hasn't been wrong. When finally came together, the canon of Scripture was put together again by the Roman Catholic Church, and it has never been changed until 1,500 years later when Luther came along. He says also if the Roman Catholic Church gave the world the Bible in 397 A.D., then why did many different versions of canons continue to circulate long after? Because, number one, not every we didn't have Internet. We didn't have the communication we have today. Uh, not everyone had the canon of Scripture, and there were all kinds of canons that were circulating, just like false interpretations of the Scriptures are circulating today. Go to Catholic.com and their shop and go to Good Book on How the Bible Came Together. 